these companies have figured out that if they pay the DOJ, the DOJ will go quiet. Mm. And billion here, billion there, five billion there, six billion there, four billion here, a hundred billion there. Oh wow, what's that for? Money laundering, <laughs> drug trafficking, slave trafficking, managing the gold market, distorting the FX market. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Stick Talk Podcast. Today we're here with a very special guest, Gary Cardone. Thank you for sitting down with us. Thank you for having. You're spitting some fire before we even started rolling. So let's just let's just get right into it. I'm a volcano, man. I know. Just, we're going into FTC and FTX and crypto and all this crazy stuff. Government. Yeah. So I just to, before we get into all that, I want to go way back to your upbringing with your twin brother Grant. I was watching your guys' video about how you guys, you know, in your childhood were. Get into died 32 times. Yeah, get into fights, <laughs> puncturing spleens and all this crazy stuff. So do you want to just run the audience through your upbringing, what it was like living across the street from a prison known as school, all that fun stuff? Yeah. Uh, well, I think what I learned from that was, hey, don't fuck with me. Uh, I do. I do. I will go over the edge if, I, if I'm not an angry person. But every now and then Grant just pushed me a little too far and I had to. I had to give him a little shock factor. Uh, so that reduced the fighting quite, quite a bit, a couple of hospital trips. Um, man, I'm, I mean, I don't think I knew enough to, to, to know what was like. It was just, we were growing up and uh, normal. we had a lot of fun. We had a blast. Um, don't really remember my parents being like over us, on top of us or coddling us. I mean, we would leave the house at nine o'clock in the morning and at eight years old and come back at four man like it, it like we lived out in the country and grant we we carried uh by the age of probably eight we were had shotguns and we'd <laughs> go into the woods and kill anything that was moving and, and where was this lake charles louisiana gotcha yeah louisiana. refining town are you a saints fan by chance uh a little bit okay. I, I don't watch a lot of sports i the businesses i'm in they are they are serious sports so <laughs> So you got to entertain uh, the clients? No, no, it's just like I have enough you got excitement enough uh, with, with the uh, main game. So uh, I've never been a real spectator. I don't, I don't like watching games. I like to be in the arena. I, I like to play something uh, and have something at risk. It, to me, it's funner. Um, you know, then my, my dad died, and uh, things really changed. You could see... Like when you look back at it now, you, you could just graph it, and it was really a shocking event. That uh, the the lesson I think I look back now, and I'm like, hey, these two boys just didn't have alpha dogs around them. You know, they had no leadership. They had I do really good when I understand what the boundaries are, especially yeah. when they're not made up boundaries. You know, you get one set of boundaries, and I get another set. Uh, but if if they're really good, disciplined boundaries. Um, I perform better. Uh, not, not that I'm caged, but I understand where my boundaries are. And uh, the best teacher I ever had was a guy named Bork. I think it was 11th grade. It's interesting that I would remember his name. He was a history teacher. And uh, they sent me to this classroom as a, as a uh, penalty because I was unruly. Actually, my brother was unruly. We switched. You guys went to school together? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
we switch classes one day on a Friday, and I show up on Monday, and the teacher's looking at me going, hey, you can never come back in this room. <laughs> I'm like, what? And she's like, your behavior Friday was just outrageous. So uh, I get sent to, for his behavior, of course, they didn't tell on him. You swapped but, as a joke? Like, yeah. just to see what see would happen. If we could get away with it. <laughs> see if we could get away with it from yeah, the teachers yeah. and all the girls and the boys, right? And we got away with it. That's but awesome. the rule was, hey, don't, don't. Like, we don't need to blow up any rooms, okay? Just <laughs> let's see if we can get away with it. Well, Monday morning shows up, and I, I'm no longer allowed to go in that classroom. Uh, they sent me to this really tough, tough, tough teacher. I made straight A's. Straight A's. I respected this guy so much. Literally, you walk into his office one second late, you're not allowed to come here today. Like, leave. Go somewhere else, okay? You didn't show up on time. I love that. And uh, that I made straight A's. Only class I made straight A's in, I guarantee. <laughs> Why? He held my attention. So Why do you that, think that is? I think that strong characters need strong leadership. Uh, like, I, I, the, the stronger, um, and I'm not talking about draconian leadership. I'm talking about proper leadership. Uh, I have been accused my whole life of rebelling against authority. Um, I'm sure some of you guys have heard. As you've heard. been saying before. Yeah. And uh, that's never really rung true to me, that I was anti-authority. Um, and then I met a psychologist uh, in my late 20s, and I was doing some work with, I think it was some kind of weekend group training. I've done a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I, it's been good for me. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you hate weak authority. When he said that, dude, I was like, yes, that <laughs> I will own, okay? And weak authority looks like to me, you just make rules up uh, because you're trying to suppress someone, put them in a box somewhere, like dress codes. Dress codes at work, to me, are bizarre. Or right? the current like, government. And, and when, I was, when I was in business, you know, you'd have the, hey, man, can't wear jeans. And I got to a point where I had become so successful that I would have finance departments or HR come in and, hey, you know, we want to talk about dress code on Friday afternoon. I'm like, what are we even talking about this for? Like, I'm only interested in production. I, I don't care if you show up in your underwear. Uh, don't show up with a client in your underwear, okay? You can't do that around the office. But if someone's producing, why do I care what they're wearing? That they're wearing jeans and some boots or no tie or... Like, let the person be the way he is and um, let him create. You don't need... So these are just fake rules so people can have some power and authority. That I rebel against, and I hope, hopefully rebel against it for the rest of my life because uh, it's not effective. It's, it has nothing to do with production. And a great coach never leads that way. A great general doesn't lead that way. So if, if the top... If, if you make all your money with the top 10 or 15% of the producers... Why would you want to take those people and say you have to behave like right. the middle? The rest, the other, yeah. Then, then, and then you're like, like this thing, uh, you got a bunch of companies right now forcing people back into the office. That ain't going to work, okay? Me and my brother really disagree on this vehemently, okay? When you tell me that I have to go do something uh, in an office that's not efficient for me, it is not efficient for me to drive into an office anymore, at least for the business I do, um, I think the top 10 or 15% of the top producers are going to say, 
I don't have to go anywhere, dude. You're not going to let me go. Mm -hmm. Not a chance. And if you do, you're making a huge mistake. What is that company left with? In the office, all the people that go into that building are literally the middle of the food chain and the low end of the food chain. So you've lost all your creativity. All your creativity is remote. And you basically have a bunch of functioning machine parts with no... Uh, Innovation. I'm not trying to like offend anyone, but the, if you're in the middle, you're just part of the machine. And uh, I, I just don't think that you can play this game of, okay, we did the COVID thing, we showed everyone that technology with a, an alert notice of two days, okay, everybody's staying home. Dude, it worked. Zoom worked. Didn't Slide, work great, but it worked, hurts. okay? And in a two, with two-day notice, we had two and a half years to experience this remote thing. Yep. Dude, there's no way we're going back. We made it work in the shittiest conditions with no notice, controls. Uh, there is no way we go back to, to the old way of doing, doing things. So um, these, these fake rules, they're all very, very reactive, and they're not going to exist in the future, I don't think. Yeah. I guess, how, like, for you and Grant, as you guys were growing up together, like, how do you almost lead each other in that sense? Like, did you guys always share the same values? Uh, I don't think we shared the same values. Uh, I think we both knew that working hard. Uh, I mean, it's kind of weird that we took very, very different approaches to life. Okay. Uh, he left home at 28 or 29. I left home the day I left college, 21, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that would be, people ask me for advice all the time. My advice to anyone is at 17, 18, 19, if you're not going to college, you should leave your home. Why? You should leave your city. You should leave your high school, college, campus area. Yep. Because you're going to be uncomfortable. Dude. Yeah. It's going to force you and, to grow up. And, and the real thing is, not that you're going to be uncomfortable, but that you're too comfortable right now. Uh, like when I'm in the space that I know, I'm comfortable. Yep. And, uh, man, it made me at 21, it made me learn how much I don't know. I didn't know about the, I, I moved to Texas, and uh, I didn't have a girlfriend to lean up against, cry at night. <laughs> uh, I didn't have anything. Okay. And, and what I had was a new team I joined, and I just threw myself into that. Uh, Grant didn't do bad, but he just waited nine, ten years. Uh, he'll say he was scared. I mean, he, he was scared. He was scared to move out. Um, man, the truth is everybody's going to be scared to move. You right? still got to do it. <laughs> yeah, but, but if you look at the stats, um, like your producer le left Michigan, right? Look at the people that uh, – Stayed, stayed near their home, near their high school, near their college. They may end up running the plumbing company in that town or the tire yeah. company or the whatever, real estate. But, you know, have they really expanded their yeah. universe? And, and I'm not saying it's wrong that not to, but why wouldn't you want to spend a year or two out of the comfort zone just to discover more about yourself. Us three moved out of uh, our college town as soon as we graduated, and we signed a lease in Tampa on an apartment that was out of our budget, basically. 
And we're like, we have to go make it work. And our business went like that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. totally. So, it's a commitment, see? Yeah. Then you had to make it work. You like put something on the, the line. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you put something on the line. So where did you start when you moved out? You said you joined a team. What was that? Like a, just a company you worked for? Or were you already in the, like, the entrepreneur game at that mm. point? No, man, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was really like very, very, I spent four years in college studying marketing economics, girls, <laughs> how to roll the best joint in the world, uh, how to go to a, a, a Mick Jagger concert and get laid, you know, uh, without blowing my head off. Um, and uh, I mean, I had a blast. Yeah. I, mean, I had a blast. I'm not sure, sure it was very productive. Um, I mean, I should have ended up in jail a number of times and I'm lucky I didn't hurt anyone you know like accidents or so one I'm grateful because I did push the envelope um but I was terrified dude I was terrified right out of college uh that I didn't know what to do and it was shocking to me I'd spent eight years getting prepared uh not sure what I was getting prepared for because nobody even explained to me what I was getting prepared for right uh, and I think that's continuing even today. Like, yeah. uh, and that's really gotten me interested in becoming more uh, connected to the world because I haven't done a lot of this stuff. Is I think I have a really interesting story, and it's interesting to me. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of people are lost, like I was 40 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and so I really literally <laughs> just took any job I could get now uh, in a big industry. And... Uh, Got lucky enough to get a really cool job. The first job was in the natural gas business. Um, and that business would undergo a change. The, the regulators would come in and make a change. Not to bore your audience on what the change was, but it was substantial. It was like a shockwave hitting an entire industry. Hey, this is going to change. And literally 50 men, I interviewed my old boss just yesterday. Oh, spent cool. a couple hours with him. Brilliant guy named Steve. And I asked him two things. One, did he underestimate the opportunity? And he's like, oh, for sure, man. We underestimated by 100x. <laughs> okay. And, that's, and this and that's, was the company that grew into a Fortune 30 company, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, well, well, actually, I would start in the energy business at a really big company. Yeah. And after two or three years of learning just the basics, I realized this company was a legacy company, and they wouldn't make the transition through the challenge. Got it. I was smart enough to understand, boy, this is a big change. I don't think the, these other companies carrying all this weight. They're too big to move that they're fast. They're too big. And, and he, he shared something with me. Now, this, is, well, this would be what I would do for the rest of my life, is move into dis- highly disrupted environments. I would either massively disrupt them or they were going through disruption, and then I would pour more fuel on them. Um, that would be energy and a regulatory change and then payments a commercial, like I saw a monster gap on the chargeback piece going, this is ridiculous, um, and just went in and exploited a whole problem in a business that had been there 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> 40 years, okay? So don't tell me you can't go into another industry that's really old and smash it, man. I mean, smash it. There, were, there was no one doing what we had done. All we did was focus on a different side of the value chain. Everyone had focused on the consumer. I'm like, shit, it's the merchant putting all the money into this deal. It's, he's like an oil producer who's drilling holes in an advertising 
Google landscape, right? Mm -hmm. And like, if, if an oil producer drills a well and it turns into a dry hole, he does not keep drilling. <laughs> he moves. Okay, well, advertising online, like, is CPA really worth $45? I don't think so, dude. It's not probably worth $10 until you get pure transactions that yep. don't have friction, don't have refunds, don't have chargebacks. So I'm looking at all this going, you're telling me there's 200 million chargebacks a year, mostly on small, small merchants, and uh, they make a 10% margin? Like, how is this sustainable? You're going to run every small merchant out of business. There's 50 million merchants on the planet. And uh, maybe Visa MasterCard want less merchants. I think it's good for consumers to have more options, not less options. Yep. Yep. And then, like, nobody was helping the merchant. I'm like, they're the guy spending the risk capital on the advertising, and that advertising is turning into absolute shit. Yep. And if the regulators and Visa MasterCard really wanted to solve the chargeback problem, Oh, you don't like subscriptions? Don't make them illegal, dude. You don't like SaaS? Make them illegal. No, no, we just don't like the subscriptions that are tied to coaching programs. <laughs> oh, really? So Wall Street Journal subscription is okay. The Fortune Magazine subs subscription is okay. Even the, you know, the, the concierge doctor subscription is okay. <laughs> But when it comes to somebody buying balding stuff for their hair, or, which they've been doing for centuries, and they will continue to buy shit to make themselves feel better or look better. Um, and most of these products are being made at exactly the same place. Like, take skincare. There, there's two places in the world to buy the best skincare products in the world. They're both in Switzerland. And I don't need to have L'Oreal's name on it to buy it. Mm -hmm. I can literally buy the same shit L'Oreal buys, stick Gary Cardone's, not that you would want my face, but stick <laughs> my name on it, dude, and it's exactly the same product. Why would I have different rules? Why would Visa, MasterCard, or anyone be able to treat this merchant differently than a guy that's got a big brand? Right. And I have literally seen where companies and regulators say, $50 million plus merchants get treated one way, Sub $50 million merchants get treated another way. That's why I wanted to go to court. I wanted to go to court and go, really? So you're literally saying you want to discriminate against small business. Really? Is that really what you guys are saying? Because I think that's what's happening. And if the answer was no, well, good. Visa, MasterCard, why don't you drag all your uh, fees, fines, and observations from the last two years and show me the Facebook one. And uh, what do you mean show me the Facebook? Uh, show me Riot Games on Facebook that ran 8% chargeback ratios for four years. How, how did they ever get past one? How did they ever get past one, much less stay at 8% for four years? That's a Forbes magazine article. Really w well worth plugging into the video here. Yeah. It's yeah. a monster, yeah. monster article. And then they're literally blaming Mark Zuckerberg, who I am not a fan of at all. Wouldn't invite him into my home. However, and I say that only just because of what I'm getting ready to say, they're blaming Mark Zuckerberg for children and their parents not understanding that when they buy a game, digital money is real money. Mm -hmm. They're literally saying Mark Zuckerberg needs to te teach the children. And I'm like, no, dude, the parents need <laughs> to hold the kids responsible for what they're buying online. Like if my kids buy, they ask me, can I buy this 495 movie? 
Like they don't just go rip it off and take it. Um, so like it, when you read the article, you'd be like, oh my God, this really happened? So it happens on scale. And, and that's what I love about this whole digital world. I think you're gonna see the digital world level all of these discriminatory practices right. that, that pop up. So. so you talked about weak authority, you're talking about discrimination and it seems to me like Bitcoin is, is the answer to all of this and you're wearing a Bitcoin hoodie, it's obviously a big focus of yours nowadays. So I wanna first hear, when did you discover Bitcoin? Because <laughs> someone said I could go back in time, like, oh, if you could go back 10 years, what would you tell yourself? I'm like, just take a loan out against my 10 year old life and buy Bitcoin <laughs> as much as I possibly could. So when did you hear about it and were you a big believer at first or did it take you some time to come around to it? I heard about it first in, um, I think, 2016. Uh, I was getting ready to move to London. So it must have been 15, actually. I was getting ready to go back to London for the chargeback business to put a, put a flag into the ground in Europe. Uh, I believe that I have to be there to do that successfully. And it's really born from seeing American companies or European companies move here or American companies go there. They always do the same exact thing and it's never very effective. They send the guy who shows up Monday on the Monday flight. He doesn't travel Sunday, he's an expat. He got a big fat package, he's gonna fly first class. And then on Thursday, he's already checking out of his mind on Thursday about getting on the plane Friday so he can see his wife on Friday night and his kids. When I go to Europe, I'm like, dude, I'm going to Europe and I'm leasing a place, I'm not coming back till I'm done. I, I, don't, I don't go with, oh, I'm going to leave, you know, every Friday because the Europeans know what you're doing. Yeah. But when you're there, like you're having dinner with the locals on Saturday and Sunday, like the, the gathering of intel and the connectivity to this community is very, very different. So when I say, hey, move out of your state, move out of your town, move out of the high school, what I'm saying is move out and cut the lines. Don't, don't, hey, you can't move out and call mommy every 12 minutes. You can't, you can't, you know, be having phone sex with a girlfriend <laughs> 300 miles away, right? What, you need to disconnect and go live in that country, that place, and then go, I'm building a whole new organism around me. And, and that includes people, intelligence, humor, whatever that is. So um, 2015 is around $200. I was going to say the price 20, of Bitcoin was yeah, 2016 was when it first started getting up yeah. to a thousand. That was when like everybody heard about yeah. it. And, and the reason I didn't do anything with it was because uh, the carnival, the circus, the noise, the Roger Ver, cash, BCV, all, the, uh, already the fighting was starting. And I will say that I think the biggest liability to this to this industry is the community and this tribal, uh, very myopic and polarized. Emotion. Huh? The emotions are so volatile. Yeah. It's like, this is the next thing. This sucks. It's yeah, like every see, second. I don't understand the emotional thing. It's like, well, why is this all emotional? Like, it's a, yeah. it's just business, and you're, you're, you're a able. A lot of to people make it their whole identity, though. Like online, you'll see this with influencers on Twitter or Instagram. It's like. You, you care too much about it. You need to detach a little bit. Yeah. So for me, it was the circus. Um, and uh, in 2016, uh, it didn't have enough history. I, I have a, quite a few friends who bought Bitcoin at 7 bucks, bought wow. Ether at 35 That's cool. But they didn't buy $30 million worth. Yeah. See, nobody was going to deploy $30 million at 300 bucks. 
joke. Magic. I mean, there's so many things wrong about the $300. Like, when did everybody lose their coins? Everyone lost their coins when it wasn't respected. Bitcoin was not respected. Why? Because it was mispriced. Yep. P P 300 bucks, nobody cares. Um, and they're doing exactly the same thing today. Exactly. People are looking at Bitcoin going, it's $44,000. I'll look at it and go, no, it's a million dollars, dude. Okay. It's a million dollars. I have to treat this asset as if it's worth $1 million, not 44. Imagine if this was worth a million dollars, how many audits there would be. Okay. If, you, if you're into this industry and everybody thinks we're going to get this monster pump on fundamentals, on fundamentals <laughs> with the planet actually needs a finite product, why are so many people treating it like it's worth what it is today? If it's worth what it is today, you should probably sell it. But if you're investing in it for four or five years, you must think the value is going to go up, right? And so, like, I look at that and go, okay, if I buy a house and I think the house is going to triple, quadruple in value, am I going to just not pay any attention to it? <laughs> am I going to treat it well? Am I going to wash it down? Am I going to, like, get my professionals around, make sure I have insurance on it? No, I'm not going to spend any insurance. Fuck, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Fuck the government. <laughs> it's not about the government, dude. It's about this house. It's about this house that I have an investment in. I have a thesis that it's going to go up. I have to pay some attention to it. And with Bitcoin, people are just like, well, you know, bought it at 300 and I sold it at 3000 and I made a mistake and now I'm not coming back in. I mean, the amount of people that can't get over their mistakes is amazing. Well, I feel like a lot of people think it's too late. Yeah, well, I got, I, this is, was my point. I was having dinner the other night with a lady that's CEO of a large company in Tampa. She owns $7 Bitcoin. She will, tell, she will tell you that she thinks the price today is a better risk-adjusted transaction than it was at 7 bucks <laughs> by 1,000 miles. Just because it's, it's too big to fail. By a thousand miles. Because, because you have 52 million people today that own Bitcoin. Right. Because okay. it has been attacked 4,000 times. Uh, half of them have been from internal, but just stupidity. Right? And the other half, are like, we haven't even seen the attacks yet, really. I think most of the attacks on Bitcoin is all internalized. It's just, just parasites, man, coming in, short-term players, trying to exploit an opportunity. Um, and, and it is a monster opportunity. You're going to have more exploiters. That always happens in, the, in these developing markets. Yep. It's the edge cases that build markets always, always, always. And it will be so in this case. And as you have more large players come in, they don't want this noise. Now, I, I'm still not sure that there's a selection of Bitcoiners somewhere between 2 and 3%. I, I'm not even sure they really want real adoption, okay? But real adoption is everybody plays. Real adoption is, you, oh, BlackRock, except for BlackRock. Everybody's <laughs> going to play, okay? Real adoption is Visa's going to play, MasterCard's going to play. They're about to roll on ETF yeah. soon. Yeah, oh, that is most certainly coming. So um, my, my experience really is very well developed for this particular challenge because of the disruptions I've been in. The, the behavior of the, the player, the legacy player who's feeling threatened, mm -hmm. they always behave the same way. 
because they're really the same type of people. It's that middle management. They joined a big company. They don't want to lose their position. Okay, Visa does not want to lose its position. Um, well, they're very, I mean, these companies are very aggressive. They're not stupid. I mean, they, they, they are not stupid. I think like the energy guys, however, their ships are so big that they can't make the adaption that you and I can make. Right. They, they can't morph and, and help push the market along because you and I are not holding baggage is actually a benefit in a very, very disruptive in, in a space. Well, so a testament to your guy Zuckerberg, he pivoted from Facebook to Meta at the, the level of the too big to fail size of Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pivot. I, 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 I think Meta won't exist in seven years. That's interesting. Why not? I, Twitter's going to rip their heads off, man. <laughs> I love Twitter. Like, Twitter. Twitter. Are you a fan of Elon? Oh, I, I wasn't. I didn't do Twitter until he charged for it. I hate free. <laughs> I think free. I think free is awful. Okay, it it like I don't shop at Starbucks anymore, because when you let all the homeless people in and take a piss, dude, like it's no longer Starbucks. I'm sorry, it, it it doesn't make any sense. That's what the government's supposed to do. Don't open a private company up and go, hey, everyone can use the toilet now. To my point about free. Yeah. I don't want free. Okay, I think everybody should pay for something. It's a dollar, 10 cents, whatever. Free attracts a lot of weird people. Like if this was free, I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't show up into a bar that's free. <laughs> We're in the members lounge, we pay to be up here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, I'm not a big fan of the product. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that it helps society. And I, like, I just think he gets hurt really bad. I, I think what's really cool about the digital economy is it's going to seek out, in blockchain, really blockchain, it's going to seek out all non-value plays. If you're in a company and you don't know what the company does as a value, if you can't tell me in two sentences what your company does to add value to this planet, I think you should start looking for another company to work for. And if you don't know the value that you bring your ecosphere or the company you work for, you're going to be displaced, man. For sure. And, and I, I don't see Facebook's value. I do not see them building the metaverse. Like, Twitter is the metaverse right now. And YouTube. And we're, we're lean, this is happening now. Like, we're living in this. Uh, I've done, what, 10 of these this week? Two of them. Podcast? Yeah. So, uh, it, it's getting better. Now. I mean, the biggest value they have is just the largest economy of people to sell shit to. Just how many people are on the platform? Like, there's literally billions of users, so so many online businesses rely on Facebook advertising. And you were talking about it a little bit earlier. The CPA is way overpriced right now. So you think that is going to die out eventually? Or, like, how? Do, I'm just wondering how that goes away. It almost reminds me of what you said earlier about being too big to fail. There's just too many people on there for advertisers to not take advantage right now. Well, well I, I have a particular perspective on um, that the – Facebook, Google think because okay. I see the back end of the chargebacks and I, I'm quite certain that $45 CPA is extremely expensive. Unilever, two or three years ago, one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, cut their ad budget on online by a billion dollars. Wow. You know what their sales did? Went up. Went up? Yeah, it's a lot of, like when you say, hey, selling shit to people, like there's a lot of shit 
uh, being pushed through that whole ecosystem. I don't think we should sell shit to anyone. I think this is a tremendous opportunity to bring a planet together, educate the planet, yep. and provide an awesome service to a lot of people, man. A bigger universe than we've ever seen before. Uh, to the Bitcoin point, people go, hey, you know, why do you like, there's 52 million people that have agreed that Bitcoin's worth $43,500 right now this second. And not all 50 million people agreed. There's probably only a handful of people that are agreeing on the price this very moment. But 52 million, find me a market that I could not walk into Sequoia or Bain Capital and go, hey, I have an addressable market of 52 million people and they're all going to buy this stuff. And it's going to be lifetime. Lifetime. They will buy this and it will continue to increase. 52 million clients. Come on. Unheard of. Come on. I, 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 Node 40, my pitch, my pitch to investors on Node 40, I need 30,000 clients to make $70 million. <laughs> and we're talking about 52 million people, and it will grow because, like, 80% of the families that have tremendous wealth have, have zero allocation to Bitcoin today. Zero. Why do you think for those specific, that specific set? I, I mean, I think that between regulations and all the carnival uh, shit going on and our inability to educate people properly about this product and this tribal crap, uh, it's like I'm, a turn off. Like, I kind of actually like it. I hope they continue to do it because I can read through all that noise. See, for me, it's just noise. It's like, yeah. okay, it's immature. Doesn't change the product. Ah, dude, it doesn't. Like, it only, it actually discounts the price that I can keep buying in over time. I don't want to buy all of it at one time because I don't know how to pick bottoms. But yeah. my ability to be able to buy every month when the price is just doing this and the volatility everybody bitches about, I'm like, Man, that's my favorite. <laughs> it's yeah. awesome, right? Because I can wait. I don't have to get freaked out. I can. Hey, it's going to come back twenty or thirty percent. I'll just pick some up then. So, I know we're bouncing all over the yeah. place, but it's but the whole planet's being disrupted right now. And for you guys, man, you you have the right energy, the right youth, the right. If you have the right mindset about how to approach this opportunity. It is not a problem. It is a monster opportunity. I don't think I will ever see in my lifetime a bigger one. And I've seen four big ones. I never thought I'd see another one. What were they? Uh, not gas and electricity were. were that, that, the, I mean, I built three businesses. Fortune 30 company and then $2 billion businesses in London in 10 years. Wow. One, one person. Like, I went to London in 92. We, I was the only one there. They sent a boss to make sure I didn't get out of control. <laughs> His name was Jake. And then we hired 10 British guys. I said, look, I'll take the Brits, but I don't want anybody above director level. They all have to be low-level people. I didn't want anybody, you know, that was already politically compromised and their brains were already, like, monopoly mush. <laughs> um, two years, we didn't do a trade. People started making fun of me that we hadn't done anything. I don't know what people think. You're supposed to show up and start banging it out like, a, <laughs> like I don't know. And uh, by the end of the second year, we'd made 120 million pounds cash. Jeez. And this was doing so, what? So yeah, explain do. to the audience what the energy training firm is, because I was reading about it for the first time and I was completely yeah. So so uh, there's 50 guys on the planet that basically saw in in 1985. 
the energy regulator came out in the United States and they said any contracts that have ever been signed over one year, you can all abrogate them tomorrow morning. You can throw them away. Okay? We're going to basically step into the market and make everything you've ever done prior to this moment, you can cancel it if you want. And the reason for that was the industry had created this little game where Dow Chemical would have to buy 10-year nat gas, natural gas, to run their furnaces and all that stuff. And it was fixed on CPI indicators. It was always going up. So when I went into the natural gas industry, it was $7.63 a unit. Today it's $3. We drove it down to 80 cents. So we went from 7.63 to 80. There was so much supply. Wow. But in energy, unlike Bitcoin, you don't know what the supply demand metrics are. All you know is how much demand is there, but you don't really know what the producers are capable of doing, the Exxon Mobiles of the world. In 1985, there was 23,000 oil and gas producers in the United States. Now there's 400. Wow. Uh, we have something called fracking today. Y'all have heard of that, right? Yep. yep. We are the largest producer of energy on planet Earth today. When did we become innovative? At $30 crude oil, not 100. At $30 to $10 crude oil, fracking showed up. Why? Price drives innovation. Because people that drill holes in the ground, they, they drill holes in the ground. That's all they do. They don't... There was no equation in school going, let's see now, we're engineering through some graphite and we're going 3,000 feet down. And by the way, the price has to be this. No, it's just how to drill. It's literally an engineering project. So once you start learning how to drill, dude, I'm a drill. Hey, it's only 30 bucks. I think I can figure out how to drill for 30. Let's go horizontal, man. And so that's where we are today. We are now in a moment where a product that determines whether you are a first, second, or world third world nation, natural gas, oil, and electricity. Those are the three components that determine whether you live in a great country, a rich country, a, a comfortable country, or a not so comfortable one. Like literally, okay, that is, is not about money. It's about dense fossil fuel in size, and the size and volume is more important than the price. Happens to be America has both size and the price. The break-even on crude oil is $45 in the United States, and I'm quite certain they can make it work at 30. We'll never see $150 and $200 oil ever. Mm. It's not necessary, man. And if we do, all the greens, all the solar, all that's going to get built. Um, so basically, what we did was we we said, look, the the world is not made up of monopolies trading with each other. Let the market work, and there was one simple thing to do. Make all the pipelines and make the grid, Mr. Regulator. Make it like a highway where if Exxon wants to use that grid or that pipeline, what's the price? 39 cents. Cool. Well, Gary Cardone gets to use that same transport fee. So if Gary wants to put his car on that pipe, he gets to play for 39 cents too. The old world was Exxon was like, I own all the pipe. I own all the capacity. Yeah, but there's 30% capacity available. Yeah, but I own it all. I don't want you playing on it. That's the way the old world. Now the world is, hey, if you have a vehicle, you sign an ISDA, a common contract, not Visa, MasterCard, by the way, not 52 million different terms and conditions. We're all trading all. We all have exactly the same contract. So it's like democratized. Uh, it's, that was it's, the disruption. It's called, it's called an ISDA agreement, okay? Yeah. And if you don't sign the ISDA agreement, fuck off. This is sound Bye. Get a, you could be ExxonMobil, dude. 
You don't want to sign the ISDA. You're not, you're not playing in the market. So now we have a market that trades on the half hour, has never failed to perform. A kilowatt of energy has never stopped flowing. The nuclear power industry in the United Kingdom in 2001, you can look this up, 2002, maybe 2003, went bankrupt. I did it, and no one was left cold. Literally, a name of one company was switched out the next day for a name of another company. Paperwork changed. All the electricity kept flowing on that nuclear power station, and everybody got everything. It's literally just a bankruptcy. It's just paperwork. So this market works. It is the firmest market in the world today. Uh, it doesn't fail. There's failures in the, in the industry, but it never fails to price out. So and I was reading about how you got out of it at 2001 because you saw kind of like the writing on the wall and the opportunity maybe for a player of your size wasn't as great. Like, how did you actually have the foresight to be like, okay, this is such a massive industry. It's the firmest market in the world. Like, why'd you step down? Well, uh, first off, I was starting to uh, not enjoy what I was doing. Okay. I had reached a point when I get bored. Yeah. It is a, it, it's the least, it's the worst emotion I have, actually. I'd rather be sad. <laughs> uh, well, at least with, when I'm sad or, you know, in grief, I, I, like I, I can. You're feeling uh, something. It turns, it turns into something, right? Um, like I, I notice when I'm in, you know, I guess it's weird for a business guy to talk about grief, but if I have grief or sadness, I find that I'm more prone to like poetry, music, writing. Like it drives me into a yeah. certain position. Boredom, you know, I'm just sitting there Straight wanting to stir up some, some shit, right? <laughs> um, but I had 600 people working for me. I hadn't driven a car in a while. I had a limo driver. I lived out in the country. I mean, I had almost everything you could imagine at 40 years old. Um, and I asked myself one day, I'd just done this really large deal and I'm like, Hey, why am I staying here? Like, why am I doing, I've been in England for 10 years and I didn't know the answer. I mean, this, these were the answers. Well, dude, making 7 million a year. Okay. That's, uh, I'm at the top. Of that the helps. Food. I'm at the top of the food chain. It helps, but it doesn't make you happy. I'm at the top of the food chain. Uh, like I just bought a storage facility for seven, nearly $700 million over a lunch table. <laughs> like, really? Like, that, that's a story, dude. That's an awesome story. And uh, am I going to spend the rest of my life doing one thing at 40 years old? And I had met a man who ran British Gas. He was a bit older than me at the time. He took eight years off. This cat takes eight years off at the age of 32. Goes all around the world sailing, man. Eight What's years? his name? Barry. I think his name was Barry. Seven or eight years. Even if it was four. Like, That's so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does that vacation. shit, dude. And then he comes back and becomes the CEO of the largest energy player in Europe. I'm like, now that's a career. <laughs> yeah. Okay? A guy can build a career in steel, take eight years off, and then come back in an industry, build another career. I'm like, that motherfucker got it. Like, he's got it down, right? He's not like a slave to the 401k. In addition to that, being a little bored, and my boss said we were going to make a billion dollars the following year in cash. And 
One thing I am really good at, probably better than anybody I know, I do not drink my own Kool-Aid, man. And, and if I hear people like, you know, pushing the Kool-Aid out, I, I, what's in that stuff? And when he told me that he was going to make a billion, I've been with these guys 17 years, never sold anything. Like, I actually used my stock to buy homes. Never sold, I, and I kept it with the Dynagy because I didn't want it in a bank, sitting in a bank. When he told me we were going to make a billion dollars in cash, I was like, no, dude, only if we start selling heroin. And I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, because we were what's called mark-to-market, where you just tell the accounting firm how much money you made this year. Um, so that happened, and um, they also were starting to do really weird shit, like, hey, Enron's doing fiber trade, so we want to go and do fiber oh, trades. God. And I sat in a meeting one day. I almost got thrown out. It was a board meeting on buying a fiber optics company. I was in Houston. I went there two or three times a year. And Chuck's pitching this deal around the board. Chevron's sitting at the board. Hey, we need to do this. This is the future. Fiber's going to trade like a commodity. And I'm sitting there just old basic Joe, Louisiana. I'm like, okay, well, explain to me something. you got a pipe this big, and you have a 1,000 pieces of hair fiber running from Europe to America, and you're telling me this company now has the ability to like change slightly the light in these thousand fibers and turn them into one million forms of communication. Because you pink, super pink, super, super, super <laughs> pink, right? You just go through that. I'm like, why the fuck would we want to buy that? <laughs> I mean, we're commodity traders. And I'm like, can I short my own stock? This was my... <laughs> Hey, this is what uh, you said uh, in the board meeting? Oh, totally. I said, St uh, Chuck, can I short the fuck out of Dynasty? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he, like, went ballistic, man. <laughs> now, they liked me because I did stuff like that. And the guy that I – so, anyway, but, but they liked me because I, I would, like, push, push on the – that was the dumbest deal that they ever did. When they, they started doing that stuff, I'm like, you guys are so far over your skis. You're, you're now starting to follow other people and doing things – and, and, like, we have no way to execute any of this shit. So I found myself, I'm in London, I'm now owner of a fiber optics trading house, <laughs> a crude oil trading business, a nat gas trading business, and electricity trading business. I'm like, we're only making money on nat gas and electricity, taking monster, monster positions. What the fuck am I doing with this fiber business? And it was just, it was, you saw a whole And you ended up being right. Like, looking back, everybody who went all in on that just... Went belly up. Well, the story, the story actually, so I sold all my stock that day, gave him six months. I said, look, I'm out. I'm tired, man. Um, six months to leave. Six months later, that price would go to 60 cents. From what? I sold it at 47. Dollars? Yeah. <laughs> and the weird thing is, when I sold, it shocked the, the board. And they made a rule the next week. They said, hey, nobody, no, everybody's nobody an insider. Nobody can sell. Wow. And the other guys got locked in. I found oh, out three man. years ago that three guys never got out. Three guys Jesus. that I, you can hold on to your position too long. Like that company's worth nothing today. You know, it's been moved, sold. And, and that's a real message. Like businesses don't last forever, man. Go ask Kodak. Okay. Go ask Gillette. Gillette got clock, man. Dollar Shave Club, right? Hammered. Go, go talk to uh, Anheuser-Busch, 150-year-old company. Blockbuster. Right? Yeah, go talk to Block. Well, Blockbuster and Enron was doing a deal with Blockbuster. 
crazy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's and and I wasn't happy. Uh, I was, was starting to lose my juice on the deal, and uh, came back here for eight years. Did nothing. Studied religion, history. Did exactly the eight years. You took the eight yep. years. Yep. Hardly did any business. Burned through a bunch of money. Didn't really invest in a lot of stuff. Uh, just took time off. And, uh, you know, I'm not... At this point, do you have a family? Or you no, just no family. Okay. I'm single. Wow. Uh, well, I, I ran through two marriages. Gotcha. Building these businesses. The truth is, I didn't run through the marriages. I should have never gotten married. Yeah. Just, you know, that, that's another story. But they, they were just the wrong... Uh, and they'd say the same thing. We're totally cool. Nice people. This last one, a little more challenging, but, uh, but you know, you, you throw half a billion dollar business into a marriage and children, like it's going to get fucked up. Mm. So it's a big message for me. Hey, don't go into business with your family. Um, How about with what Grant and his wife are doing? Totally different. I don't, I don't, uh, there's only one guy making decisions in that household. On money, real estate, there's only one person making the decision. Um, and it take, like, that is a very, very unique relationship. I, I know quite a bit about how they deal with some of that, and they do have some tools that most people don't have. But for me, um, I am an insane warrior at business. For me, it's like by warrior, I mean... Obsessive. If we're all hanging, you know, and we're doing a deal, it's like, hey, bro, like, that's a fuck up. That's just a fucked up deal, okay? That's just so, so stupid. I mean, this guy, my boss, he, he loved me because I'd be like, that's fucking stupid, man. Can we bet 10 grand on this? <laughs> I'll do what you're saying, but I want to bet 10 grand on the side. This is just dumb. Um, I don't talk to my girlfriend or wife that way. So I want to be able to go home and go, hey, what's happening, man? Hey, what happened at work? Same old shit as yesterday. <laughs> what you doing? Let's, let's go have sex. Let's go walk in the beach. <laughs> let's have dinner, man. Let's go have some fun. But I am not talking about business. Yeah. 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 Why do I want to do that with her? First off, she's, they're not going to understand it. Uh, most certainly not understand what I do. And uh, I like them separate. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I, it's what I call unenforceable governance. And cool, I have governance... Me and my wife are working, but let's say, let's say she, she decides that I'm just not doing a good enough job anymore, that I'm not that go-hard guy that used to be, or that she maybe misprices something by 5 or $6 million. <laughs> that I told her, dude, $10 million, comes back $4 million deal. No, I said $10 million, did I? What am I going to do? Am I going to call the head of the largest bank in the world and go, hey, that deal my wife did? I ain't approving it. <laughs> if she signs my name to the deal fraudulently, what am I going to do? Hey, uh, that was fraudulently signed. Like, what yeah. do you do? Man? Okay. I already know I'm not going to get laid that night. <laughs> okay. Or that next week. And if I do, it's going to be an anger, anger <laughs> thing. Uh, I mean, seriously, though, right? Yeah. It's really, really, really complicated. When you start balling it down just into the simple... Things and then your kids start going. Oh, we're having dinner, and we're both looking at each other like, "Dude, you left six million dollars on the table, you crazy bitch." <laughs> She's looking at me, going, "I could have never done that deal. I hate you." The kids start picking it up. Yeah. And then what do the kids see? Wow, this family is only about business. 
That is a horrible message for a child. Okay, I do not want my kids to think everything is about business because it's not. Uh, if you can blend them together, like I have always wanted to do, which is, hey, I'm living the life that I want to live, and I'm doing business in spaces that really do well for my character, and I don't have to become a mutant, you know, a, 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 uh, a fake entity. To me, that's the best kind of life work balance you could possibly have. Um, so, look, you make those mistakes, and, you, you know, I, I live through them all. Yeah, I mean, one of the most fascinating things when I was doing my research on you was just how, like, your career and grants, like, just entirely separate the whole way, even though you guys are both massively successful in your own right. I work with family. I mean, he's my cousin. We don't look much alike <laughs> at all, but we're first cousins. I don't work with any, like, direct siblings or anything like that. But um, have, you, have you ever worked a grant in any capacity or just absolutely off limits? No, um, we have never done any business together. I wouldn't do any business with Grant. I don't want to do business with Grant. And mostly the reason is I don't want to explain anything to him. <laughs> I never ask him. I invest with him. Uh, Grant could not ask me questions that are relevant to what I do. And it's not his, like, he Different skill sets, I he, guess. Well, and he doesn't do my, like, he hates my business model. He'll tell you, man. The way he invests is extremely boring. It does not require a lot of intelligence. <laughs> it doesn't. Real estate does not require a lot of intelligence at all. It's, it's a, a lot of capital. It's a very boring exercise. For me, it's extremely boring. I, I, I don't. But he's doing something different. Yeah. So I'm not making it. He's done extremely well. I, if I'm going to go invest in real estate, I will do it through him. And not because my fees are lower uh, <laughs> than yours. Or I get the same deal. I don't ask for a special deal. I hate people that ask for a special deal. It's so irritating. <laughs> but uh, he picks these properties. He, like his picker is fucking awesome. He knows what he's looking for. Um, I've never asked him a question about one investment. Never said, hey, what's my distributions? Like, and that's the kind of, he couldn't do that with me. And he likes cash flowing businesses. He doesn't understand these 50X trades. So like the node 40, I look at node 40 and go, okay, I got 4 million in it. I'm probably going to do another four. And that 8 million is probably going to turn into 400, 300 million. Like, and I'm willing to wait. I think it's a great trade. Requires a little time and energy for me to make sure the execution's correct. Uh, but I can't do that on an apartment building. And if I did do it on an apartment building, I'm going to have to wait 10 years. And you can't do anything for it. Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, no, I'll add no, there's no intellectual value I can add. Um, now, all the stuff he's going into, like every one of them are cash flow in business, the medical stuff. That is, I would hate that business. I have no interest in any consumers. Do not want a consumer anywhere near me. <laughs> because I like dealing with professionals. Yeah. It's so much easier to deal with Goldman than anybody else. Like, they're pros. They don't get upset. Oh, shit, you got me. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's do another trade next week. You'll get me, and we'll, we'll end up. No, not really. That's, Sounds like me and my bookie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When was the last time you won from your bookie? <laughs> last week. He's been waiting to get paid It feels out, like though. you win, but it's just you're making back what you lost. So yes, like, exactly. <laughs> One of the things I'm curious about, because obviously he's got a massive personal brand, it seems like you're getting a little more and more into that. So is that a focus of yours right now to help the other companies, or is it? do you want to do that for a different reason? Do you not want to grow the personal brand at all? 
You know, that's a really good question. I don't know what my goal is here. Uh, <laughs> maybe you ask Ryan, he'll tell you. But um, well, I think just for marketing, I mean, it's, it's kind of the alternative to spending money on these massive ad platforms that you say because of the back end of the payment processor is broken. Like when you talked about Unilever. Well, I, th I think actually Google and Facebook are broken. Because I, I yeah. think, quite frankly, that's where the crime is. Okay, and, and this was my. This is why I wanted to end up in a courtroom with the FTC because if they wanted to stop this, they would just call F, uh, Facebook and Google. Hey, man, don't take any more of this. If you do, we're gonna we're gonna send a team after you. But see, the problem is, last decade, these companies have figured out that if they paid the DOJ, the DOJ will go quiet. Mm. And billion here, billion there, five billion there, six billion there, four billion here. 100 billion there. Oh, wow, what's that for? Money laundering, <laughs> drug trafficking, slave trafficking, managing the gold market, distorting the FX market. I mean, we go on and on and on. These are just fines. Like, just go as fast as you possibly can, kill a couple of people, pay a $100,000 fine, move on. 